0: today we cover another extremely emotionally charged topic abortion no matter how you look at it abortion is a matter of life and death life of some sort that is and really as we'll see the question that we're gonna answer is biblically is human life in the womb of the same value as human life outside of the womb And the practical question that arrives out of that, does God condone ending life in the womb? Or is it sin? And this is a huge question, obviously. Just in the last 60 years, more than 62 million abortions have been performed. And that's just since Roe versus Wade and in America alone. So is that okay? There's a lot to say about the topic, uh, scientifically, philosophically, but uh, our purpose today is to look at it biblically and it's not as easy to form a conclusion as you might think because the bible doesn't say anything directly about abortion okay you won't find that word or even really that concept in the bible and it isn't because the the procedure didn't exist in the time of the bible a little historical context abortion or the the deliberate termination of a pregnancy, though obviously not as technologically and medically advanced was indeed happening at the time of Jesus and before. So all sorts of ways that would happen. Some would take herbs as a abortifacient. Um, A second century Greek physician gave recommendations to end pregnancy by jumping up and down and to carry heavy objects and that sort of thing. Some people would use extreme measures in those days, like inflicting trauma on themselves or even a primitive kind of form of embryotomy. But again, abortion isn't mentioned in the Bible. Now, some of the earliest Christian writings after the Bible, after the New Testament in the first and second century, in those, abortion was universally considered a sin. Okay? There was unanimity. on opposition to abortion in the writings of the early church fathers. There has been some debate throughout church history over when abortion is wrong or at what stage abortion is wrong. Notably, uh, Jerome uh, suggested that it was only considered murder after the formation of limbs and shapes. Pope Innocent III uh, suggested that the soul kind of enters into the body or the embryo Um, at the first recognizable movement of the child in the womb. When the mother first feels that, and though before that, taking of that life is still wrong, it's just maybe not as bad, he suggested. Later in the 1800s, Pope Leo XIII prohibited all abortions and even required excommunication for that. But historically, all mainstreams of Christianity considered abortion at least wrong. So that begs the question, If abortion was being practiced during the Bible times, and the church has spoken so adamantly against it throughout the years, why is it not even mentioned in the Bible? I read one article online that said this, abortion existed during biblical times and was fairly common practice, I don't know about that, but... The authors of the Bible, he says, knew about abortion. If the authors of the Bible, men who had strong opinions on the morality of milk, mixed fibers, and owls, wanted to forbid abortion, they would have forbidden abortion. Um, But you could also kind of argue the opposite of that. If it was common, the biblical writers may... Only mention it if it was needed to be mentioned but it was commonly understood we know in Judaism as wrong as we'll see so when a topic isn't directly addressed in Scripture we have to look at kind of the broad narrative of the Bible we have to look at God's priorities some principles that we can draw out if we really want to understand God's will in a situation so that's what we'll do what does the Bible say first what does the Bible say about life in general Now, I won't develop these topics, it would would take too long, but just life in general. First of all, God is the author of life. I don't think any Christians will deny that. God is the author of life. We read in the book of Job, in his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. We read in 1 Samuel, the Lord kills and brings to life. In Acts 17, 28, we read, In him we live and move and have our being. Jesus is referred to in the book of Acts as literally the author of life. Now, that doesn't answer necessarily when life begins, but we have to attribute life and the goodness of life to God and from God. Now, some would say that life doesn't begin at conception, but at birth, when somebody draws their first breath. That's the the Bill Clinton position that he made famous. And they say that the, the primary, quote unquote, biblical reasoning for this is oftentimes in scripture, breath goes hand in hand with the word life or the breath of life. Kind of makes sense, right? Genesis chapter two, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. So Adam wasn't living until he had the breath of life. Now, it's not a strong argument because Adam was, before that breath of life, a completely inanimate object. He wasn't living really in any sense before the breath of life, unlike a fetus uh, that is made up of already living components, at least, like even the sperm and the egg, right? So I think it's fair to say that life was introduced into Adam in a unique and one-time way. Also, breath, when we read that in scripture, it's one of the most unprecise words, Hebrew and Greek, Old and New Testament. It's used literally, figuratively, spiritually. It can mean breath and wind and spirit. And you could even say, using that word, that a fetus in the womb breathes um, because there's this this coming and going of oxygen carbon dioxide through the umbilical cord right and there's even the swallowing motion of the amniotic fluid into the lungs as they can span and contract so um, you could say um, that, that, that even there is the, the breath of life in a sense in a child in utero but nevertheless uh, even Jewish law suggests that personhood doesn't begin until birth but no matter where life begins, God is the author of life. First point. Secondly, human life is especially valuable. Human life is especially valuable. Genesis 1 God blessed men and women, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, listen, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed on the face of the earth and every tree with the seed and its fruit, and you shall have them for food. On earth, human beings are the supreme creation. That's why we read in Psalm 8, what is man that you, God, are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and you've crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and beasts of the field and birds of the heaven and fish of the sea and whatever passes along through the sea. So even in regards to life in the womb we read in the famous psalm 139 i am fearfully and wonderfully made human life is especially valuable and thirdly it's very clear from scripture about life in general that taking of innocent life is sin that's clearest as it's one of the ten commandments some verses uh, kind of talk about murder as as the shedding of innocent blood to give that a little more definition It's very significant I think that the the second sin in the Bible or the first sin after the fall is the taking of human life Cain taking the life of Abel in Genesis 4 and then we read a little later in Genesis 9 whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed why is it so significant to shed the blood of man it goes on to say in Genesis 9 6 for God made man in his own image So it's a big deal when we take the life of man. And there seems something particularly kind of heinous about taking young life, right? Even intuitively, but but biblically. Outside of divine judgment on a nation, the Bible speaks very clearly against infanticide or uh, the killing of infants after birth. So are you getting this life? is created by God. He's the author of life. Human life is especially valuable. Taking innocent life is sin. And then fourthly and quickly, children are a blessing from God, right? God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Psalm 127, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them, with children. In the ancient world, no matter what your religion, children were a blessing from God or, or the gods. And more children meant more blessing, more people to work the land, more protection for the nation. And infertility in those times was, was catastrophe for the family, for the nation. Uh, so I suppose you could argue that willingly rejecting a child is rejecting one of God's greatest blessings. Okay, that's what how the Bible kind of sets up some things about life uh, Just life in general. But what does the Bible say about life in the womb? What quality of life is that? Because nobody says that embryonic life is not life of some sort, right? Even the zygote or the fertilized egg is made of a living cell, right? biology tells us that whatever is in the womb is alive and nobody nowadays says that it's not human life, or at least the beginnings of human life, right? Some people in biblical times thought that we started out more like a a plant in the womb, but now we know that there's the full human DNA present from conception. So at what stage in that development is value assigned to that life? Or when is an embryo or a fetus a person whose life is valuable independently of mom? Here, Are the primary passages that speak to the unborn the most significant is um, the most significant passage assigning value to what is in the womb is in Exodus 21 real easy to remember Exodus 21 22 and 23 so Exodus chapter 21 verses 22 and 23 now this isn't directly a passage about abortion but it's about life pre-birth and for centuries, this was the key passage to discuss abortion um, until the late 20th century, really. Unfortunately, in this passage, as we'll see, there's a major kind of translation difficulty. So, turn to Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter one, start 21, starting in verse 22. And I'll read Exodus 21, starting in verse 22. Pro-life and pro-choice people use this verse to argue their quote-unquote Christian perspective, okay? The question is, and I'm sorry about the bluntness of this topic, but what is meant in verse 22 when it says her children come out? When she's, when she's struck or she receives whatever kind of physical trauma, her children come out. Now, does that mean they come out dead or they come out alive? Uh, some versions some translations in English though this is a growing minority of translations translate to come out as to miscarry or in other words the baby comes out dead and if that's the case then the harm or no harm that determines the penalty uh, relates just to the woman because obviously what came out the fetus or baby was harmed right So if a woman sustains some serious injury or harm, it should be paid back by however much she was injured, all the way to death for death, right? If the woman's not seriously injured, there's only a fine imposed for the loss of the child or the children. So the argument here is that the unborn life isn't as valuable as the born life or the life of the woman. And Judaism with their commentaries are kind of mixed on this, but be careful because when you hear people arguing for one side or another, they're gonna use somebody like Josephus who gives some kind of mixed signals. Josephus, by the way, uh, later in life uh, condemned very clearly the act of abortion and assigned full value to that life. Um, And I can give you those uh, those resources if you wanna look further into that. Most translations now say something along the lines of Um, As the, the baby comes out like we read in the ESV, but it says she gives birth prematurely as a result of the blow She gives birth prematurely now if that's the case then the harm or no harm may have to do with the child, right? So some say it Refers to a fully formed child. You might read that in some translations, um, and most notably, that's how the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, a very uh, respected and authoritative translation, um, says it. The argument is that a fully formed unborn life is as valuable as an already born life. Okay, and the penalty charged for whatever happened to that fully formed life is an eye for an eye. For an eye for an eye or life for equal life, however um, that child is born. Now, I'll say this. Even if the value of the unborn isn't quite life for life, in this scenario, there's still a fine imposed so that the unborn life is still valuable. It still has some value and taking that life is wrong okay that's consistent with all Jewish literature again I'll give you resources on anything that you want here but many um, Judeo-Christian people throughout history have argued that abortion whether or not murder is still sin I would say entirely up until the recent century that abortion is sin whether or not it's murder is up in question now most people commentators scholars until the time of the reformation went with one of those translations it's either miscarriage or premature birth with a fully formed child that happened uh, when the woman is struck until the reformation which in the reformation we know there's this heightened emphasis on hermeneutics over tradition so okay i don't care what tradition says so much as what does the actual text say the hebrew word come out yatsa does not usually refer to miscarriage in fact there is a word that would be used instead which specifically means to miscarry and it's used in other places in scripture exodus 23 26 hosea 9 14 so there's a different word to use for miscarriage so this is not specifically saying miscarriage the esv what i usually teach out of is the most literal it says her children come out okay that's really as specifically as we are able to understand it. The child comes out in any state. In this case, the harm spoken of, and I know I'm spending a long time on this particular passage, but this is really a main one. The harm spoken of could mean either, if you look at it, to the mother, the child at any stage of development, or either or both, but it's ambiguous. And the argument here is that the life of any unborn child is just as valuable as the life of an adult or any grown person I think this is probably the best way to interpret the passage and there's one more thing to to point out here look at verse 21 what comes out of the woman her children not her tissue not her placenta Uh, but her children, and we're gonna come back to that word here in just a little bit. This is the main passage about the value of life before birth, and though it's not directly about abortion, it is about a blow that causes the releasing of a child or children and talks about its value. And it has its interpretation problems, but most likely it places the value of the unborn and their mother as equal to the person who caused the premature birth to begin with. What else can we gather from Scripture about life before birth? Scripture says more than just the one passage. First of all, clearly, Scripture says God opens and closes the womb. That goes along with God as the author of life, right? He opened Leah and Rebecca's womb in Genesis 29 and 30. And um, after, I'm sorry, Leah and Rachel's womb, and then later uh, Rebecca's womb, um, gosh, I'm getting all confused. Rebecca before, when Isaac prays, he, God opens Rebecca's womb. He opens and closes the womb. He closed Hannah's womb in first Samuel. He closed the womb of the people of the house of Abimelech. okay? God opens and closes the womb. He initiates it. Secondly, what God says what the Bible says about life in the womb is that God fashions life, or he fashions us in the womb. The most famous passage for pro-lifers is Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame wasn't hidden from you, it goes on to say, when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Something similar said in the book of Job, your hands fashioned and made me, you clothed me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. God fashions us in the womb. Thirdly, God assigns identity and personhood in the womb. There's a repeated phrase in the Old Testament. The first time we see it is in Genesis 4:1 that says this. Now Adam knew his wife or they had sexual relations and she conceived and bore Cain. Conceived and bore Cain. That's mentioned 17 times with other people in the Old Testament. Cain, the point being, was not only Cain when he was born but when he was conceived. He had that identity even at conception. Eve conceived and bore Cain. So his identity as a person starts there at conception. Not only that, but we see several times in Scripture, God calling particular people into ministry uh, in the womb. From their mother's womb, literally. I'll read two. Jeremiah chapter one, verse five. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, listen, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you, Jeremiah, a prophet to the nations. Similarly, John the Baptist, Luke chapter one, verse 15, for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, listen, even from his mother's womb. Now, does the Holy Spirit fill non-human life tissue? (laughs) And there's something similar said about the calling, about the identity and personhood of Paul in Galatians 1.15, of David in Psalm 71.6 and others. Um, Psalm 139, again, verse 16, Your eyes saw my unformed substance, God. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as of yet there were none of them. He knew and called us to every day of life that we are to have after birth. He did that while we were still in the womb. God seems to know us as persons in the womb and assigns us identity and personhood in the womb. Fourthly, what Scripture has to say about life in the womb. Scripture refers to the unborn as children, babies, and sons. It's the same word used for those who are already born. In Genesis chapter 25, verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And then it says, regarding Jacob and Esau, the children struggled together within her. While she's still pregnant, the children, Hebrew banim. That is used also, that word, 3,000 plus times in the Old Testament to refer to children after birth. Uh, It calls them sons, or or it's referring to adult people. And that's what Jacob and Esau were, children, inside Rebekah. Something similar in the New Testament, Luke chapter 1, verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, a baby, the baby, leaped in her womb. Baby, the Greek word briefos, In the very next chapter, same author, Luke chapter 2, verse 16, it says, And the shepherds went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the what lying in the manger? The baby. It's, It's the same word. It's also used later in the New Testament for infants and for little children. Also, we see Elizabeth in her old age, it said, has conceived a son. That's a different word, but typically only used to describe those who are already born. So these verses don't make any distinction between the born and the unborn in the language. There isn't another word for fetus or for embryo. So when a question isn't directly addressed or a topic isn't directly addressed in the Bible, we have to look at the broad narrative of the Bible all over the place and look at God's priorities and God's principles to understand what God's will is. And I hope that we've seen here some some very key things that I think lead into our our question. We've seen God is the author of all life human life is especially valuable. Taking innocent life is sin. Children are a blessing from God. And then regarding the unborn, God opens the womb. He fashions us in the womb. He assigns identity and personhood in the womb. And he calls us children, babies, and sons in the womb, just the same as those out of the womb. So in conclusion, though the Bible doesn't expressly say that abortion is wrong, the onus is on an abortion proponent to prove otherwise, which as far as I've found, just can't be done. There's a, some further kind of difficult questions that come out of this, very common questions, well, what about rape and incest? Um, I'll just say, first of all, that amounts to 1% of pregnancies. Um, and the question is still the same, Is is pre-born life as valuable as life after birth and I think we've answered clearly yes to God so do the circumstances of a pregnancy determine the value of the life created well no is the baby guilty of something in the case of rape and incest well no is the taking of innocent blood ever okay well no rape and incest are very clearly wrong in scripture and they're treated as such there's a capital offense in the old testament for those Um, and resulting pregnancies and children those are going to be incredibly difficult to navigate but the clear teaching of the bible is that death is never a better alternative to life and we always aim for life no matter what the circumstances are what about when the life of the mother is at stake that's the other particularly difficult question again 1% 1% or less of births uh, uh, and pregnancies is the mother of, uh, of the baby, her life is at stake. Um, I'll give you the studies on that if you want, but there, there are others, the Dublin Declaration of Maternal Health uh, says that that's never the case. They really never see that situation. I don't know, I'm not a doctor, um, but we probably shouldn't form our opinions about abortion based on these outlying circumstances. Uh, but certainly in those rare cases, we try to preserve as much life as possible. So as with other topics, there's a lot more that could be discussed on this, but hopefully we've done a good job just highlighting what the Bible says in regards to life and specifically life before birth. Now, as we go into our discussions, let's remember this. Please remember this. Abortion is incredibly emotionally charged for good reason, And we have to approach it not only in truth, but in grace. There are many women who have struggled um, through other pregnancy related circumstances, right? Involuntary loss of children, either through infertility or miscarriage, stillbirth, uh, even the loss of aged children. And those are obviously very emotional and catastrophic events. And so we need to show these women and, and the men who've kind of walked alongside a lot of grace. There are also many women who have had abortions, not knowing exactly what they were doing. And we need to show them grace. There are many people who have supported abortion, but weren't sure precisely what they were supporting. Grace. Some promote abortion, knowing precisely what they support. And they still need the grace of Jesus. Uh, And a last reminder, women who have had abortions are not just those people, they're not just others, but they are some of us in the church, right? There are many Christian women who have had abortions, and it certainly is not the unforgivable sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So as always, just please remember to discuss these things with a lot of grace.